The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the message the Lord has given me tonight, come up out of that mess. Come up out of that mess. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you're calling us to come out of that mess. To just stand up and get out of it. And Lord, tonight I ask that you would just broaden this for us so that we understand and that you will give us the unction of the Holy Spirit to take that action that for so long we've resisted. Thank you, Jesus. Would you fill us with your fire tonight? Lord, you promised me that you would release your spirit among us tonight for healing. Lord, I pray that now you will come with power, that you will meet us tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. One day, Peter and John were going into the temple where they had their prayer meetings. Remember, this is now a church of 3,000 people. They can't fit in the upper room. So they gather in the temple area. And as they were making their way past the gate beautiful on their way in, they saw there a man who was a cripple. He was a beggar. And as they went by him, he panhandled them. He asked them to give him money. Uh, Look at this in the third chapter of the book of Acts. When he saw Peter and John in verse 3, this is Acts 3, verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. 
And then Peter said, look at us. I mean, he asked for money, but he really didn't expect to get any money. How many times through the day would he say, hey, can you help me, buddy? You can see I'm crippled. Do you have some charity in your heart for me? So he went through his little spiel and then was looking to the next people coming. And so Peter stops and says, look at us. So the man gave him his full attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. Now, I've read that how many countless times. I've never seen before that there's something wrong with that statement. He says, silver or gold I do not have. Well, he did not have a money bag with him that day. But he certainly had a lot of silver and gold. Peter was not poor. John was not poor. These were businessmen who have committed their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ. And now people are coming from a 3,000 member congregation and they're laying at Peter's feet bags of cash. Peter could easily have said to this man, now, if you'll wait just a minute, let me go in where the money is. You want evidence for this? Look in chapter 2 of Acts. Verse 44, all the believers were together and held everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. So in other words, this beggar had a need. And so Peter could have gone back. He could have rallied someone to go pick up the cash, and he could have given him not a little token offering, he could have given him a thousand dollars. There was no shortage of money here. Now, we would expect today that, that Peter should say to him, look, brother, I'm really sorry you're in this situation. We have a homeless dinner every week. Could we have somebody stop by and pick you up and bring you by for the homeless dinner? We also distribute clothes for the poor. Could we help you with some clothes? You know, we recognize that it's not your fault you're a cripple. It's not your fault that that you've been victimized by this disease. And because we really care about you, we're going to rally the troops Maybe we can find some place for you to live. You know, let's do whatever we have to do to help this man, because if we help this man, everybody's going to see what good people we are, and they're going to say, we want to serve the same Jesus you serve because you help people. I mean, after all, aren't churches supposed to help people? And especially unbelievers? I mean, aren't we to reach out and I mean, maybe Peter could have said, hey, why don't you come home and stay with me? I'm so sorry you're in this situation. This man was in a mess. This man had no life to look forward to. 
He was a cripple, apparently in that culture, viewed as one cursed by God. And now what he needs is a hand up. And the church has lots of money. You know, maybe we could send him for rehab somewhere. Maybe we could pay for his surgery. You know, let's take him to the best doctors. Let's see if there's something we can do to help this man get back on his feet. But instead of that, Peter says, I don't have any of that kind of help for you. I don't have any silver for you. I don't have any gold for you. I don't have any feast for the homeless. I don't have any clothes for you. I can't help you that way. But what I do have, now watch this. What I do have, I give you. Now, before we go any deeper into this story, I would ask you to just look with me briefly at another story. We'll be back there in Acts in just a moment. There's a rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler desires to have more than anything else. He desires to have an assurance of eternal life. He comes to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? And in Matthew 19, Jesus replies, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? I mean, this man wants to get the right information. Pastor, I'm confused. Teacher, I'm confused. Would you, would you just lay that out for me one more time and make it plain to me? Because I want to get this right. And Jesus replies, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as your... In other words, the Ten Commandments. Keep the Ten Commandments. Now, you all aware that the only way you can enter into the kingdom of God is by keeping the commands of God. Some of you say, but wait a minute, that's legalism. No, it's not. Jesus said, you must keep the commandments. Well, I raise my hand and say, I've tried, I can't. And Jesus says to me, then Ray, go to the cross and die. The only way you're going to be released from the law is to die. And guess what? After I die and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, what do I do then? Keep the commandments. That's the only way into heaven. I don't keep them in my own power because my power is dead. I don't keep them in my own skill because I have no skill. I'm a dead man. Talk to the cemetery fella. When you're laid out, you're laid out. But the new man who's resurrected, now that new man who's resurrected has the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And suddenly tobacco is broken. Drugs are broken. Love of money is broken. Suddenly all 
kinds of bondages are broken. Problem is, we want to stay down in our mess and not have God call us out of the mess. Instead, we want him to come and get in the mess with us and make it a little more comfortable. You know, Lord, I want to get over this problem, but don't take it from me. Just give me the ability to handle it. You know, I've got this pet viper. I don't want to get rid of this poison snake. I just want to keep it as a pet in its cage so I can enjoy it and take it out and play with it once in a while. Well, this rich young ruler, he answers, all these I have kept. What do I still lack, Jesus? And Jesus replies, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, we're told in Mark 10 that Jesus loved this man. Jesus loved this man. Now, here we have another kind of beggar. Now, over here, we've got the beggar who's just made a total mess of his life. Everything is broken. He's addicted. He's living in sin. He's just a mess. He can't help himself. He plays the victim role to its hilt. He knows how to dress and act just the right way to play on people's emotions so that they will give to him what he wants. I mean, I remember going downtown one day, Washington, D.C., and sitting at the Smithsonian watching this professional beggar. He knew how to posture his body. He knew how to hold his foot with his toe up so the holes would show in his shoe. I mean, he had the whole thing down to such a science, and I sat there for three hours and watched this man. I saw him pick up in excess of $10 an hour. And when he was finished for the day, and he shook himself, straightened himself up, lost his persona, and headed off to get booze or whatever he was going to get. I mean, we have that kind of game-playing victim. But over here, we have another kind. I mean, here's a well-dressed, wealthy man. I mean, he's got it all together. He's got the education. He's got the family. He's got the lifestyle. He's got everything he wants. And all he's after is more information. And he comes to Jesus, and he asks for more information. Jesus gives him what he's asked for, and he walks away sorrowful, saying, that costs too much. He loved his mess. And his mess was going to take him to hell, just like this beggar over here. They were both beggars. One was dressed, the other wasn't. But they're both beggars. They're both victims. And the Lord God of heaven wants to say, come up out of that mess. That insanity, come up out of it. This man turns and he walks away sorrowfully. Very interesting. Jesus did not chase after him. 
He let him go. He'll let you go. He'll let you walk away from him. He'll let you live in your mess. In fact, he'll increase your mess until your pain level is so high that you can't stand it anymore. And you finally say, I'm going to go back to Jesus. But some people, the pain level goes so high, they would rather commit suicide than turn to Jesus. They'd rather turn to addictions of some kind instead of turning to Jesus. Hell is a choice. You understand, hell is a choice. No man or woman is ever cast unwillingly into the pit of fire. They have made the choice to go there because they love their mess and they would not come up out of it. They love their toys, they love their lifestyle, or they love their being a victim. They love their pitiful state. I'm sure the rich young ruler thought to himself, if I give everything to the poor, my wife is going to think I've lost it. I can't do it. My wife will think I'm crazy. How do I do that? How do I throw the television out of the house? How do I do it? My kids, my kids love the mess. My wife loves the mess. You know, I've got to have this balance going in my life. I've got to be able to get a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the world deal. I've got to have the music that I like as I'm riding down my beautiful. I've got to have the music sound I want. Nobody else knows what I listen to. Then I want to come and sing with the same lips. Songs of praise to Jesus. Come on. I want to go home and get my game box out. Engage in all kinds of violence. I want to come into the house of the Lord. I want to be a man of peace. And I love everybody. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery. If you hate your brother, you've murdered your brother. You think that makes any difference between a video game of violence? You're killing. Oh, no, it's a game pass. No, it's not. It's for real. It's for real. This mess that we've built for ourselves, that we dwell in constantly... Jesus is saying to us, come on up out of that mess. Don't live there anymore. Come out of it. I mean, what did he say to the woman who was caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. In other words, don't get back in that mess. Don't climb back into that lifestyle. Don't climb back into that wickedness. She had just heard the word of the Lord God of heaven. She knew what God wanted her to do. Now, did she go back and get into that mess again? See, I don't care tonight if you're the emotional beggar or if you're the arrogant rich young ruler. The word is the same to both of you. Come up out of this. 
Don't live in it anymore. Leave it. Flee from it. And come to the throne of grace and mercy where Jesus will meet you, put his arms around you, and carry you safely. I began to think through and recount in my mind what did Jesus ask from different people? Abraham, he said, You can keep your money, Abraham. You can keep your lifestyle, Abraham. I want your boy. Because he knew Abraham's life centered around his boy. Moses. God appears to Moses and he says, I want you to go to Egypt and rescue my people. Moses didn't want to go to Egypt and be a warrior and risk his life. He wanted to stay as a sheep herder in the solitude of the mountains with his sweetheart, Zipporah, and his children and die of a ripe old age without stress. I mean, God asked Moses, will you give up your sheep? Because his heart was about his sheep. And the Lord said, I want you to shepherd my people. Think about Peter. Peter showed his heart very clearly. As soon as Jesus dies and is resurrected and then spends too much time in heaven, Peter says, come on, let's go fishing. And Jesus has to say to him, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? So Jesus said to him, you've got to give up your fish if you're going to follow me. Now I want you to feed my sheep. See, God did not ask Peter to give up his money. God didn't ask Peter to give up his home. He asked him to give up fishing business. So what is God asking you to give up tonight? You could say, oh, pastor, this is cool. I've got it. I don't have much money anyway. I'll give it all to Jesus. Somebody said that to me recently. I said, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You give what Jesus tells you to give. Because money isn't his deal. What's your deal? What matters to you more than anything else in the world? Are you going to walk away too? Or are you going to give it to Jesus? Now come with me back to the book of Acts. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. By the way, I see some of you are chilly. Could you cut the air conditioning? Thank you. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He does not say, you can do anything you set your mind to. 
And if you will just have courage and think positively about this deal, you'll recognize that you're not nearly as much of a victim as you think you are. So look, this is going to be the old college try. This is going to be giving 100%. Now, when I count to three, try as hard as you can to get up. That's not the deal. Look, I'm trying as hard as I can to make my marriage work. It'll fail. Look, I'm trying as hard as I can to be a good Christian. You're not going to make it. Pastor, I'm coming to the National Prayer Chapel, and I'm trying to do everything you say. Not going to work. Not going to work. There's only one way you're going to get up out of that mess. And that's by the name of Jesus Christ. (coughs) His is the name that has all power and all authority. And there is no mess that can remain when the name of Jesus Christ comes into the picture. It's in Jesus we trust. It's not in self-help. It's not in counseling. It's not in a doctor. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to get up out of the mess you're in, you don't need to devise a strategy. You don't need to set a goal. Okay, I'm going to lose this much weight by next week. Let's see, I can do that. You're not going to make it. I'll cut these cigarettes down. Let's see, I'll, I'll knock them off. Maybe two packs next week and maybe next month one pack. You lost. You lost. Let's see if I can can go to this seminar and if I can get my husband to go to this seminar, maybe he'll hear something and our marriage will improve. Maybe if I can get my wife to go to counseling with me. Maybe if I could just get my husband to come to church, Pastor Ray would say something that would grab him. No. It's in the name of Jesus that we rise up out of this. And it's your prayers in the name of Jesus that exercises the power to transform any mess you've made. Whatever the mess looks and smells like, it doesn't matter. It's all washed by the blood. It means going into the prayer closet. And it means laying out before Jesus exactly the mess that I've created. And it means inviting Jesus to come and pick me up and pull me up out of that mess. There is no other avenue of escape. I've discovered very interestingly, I cannot sit down with Jan and talk about a very painful, difficult issue that might come up between us. Because if I do, I'll try to convince her I'm right. Or I will cave. And then I'll be a good victim. You know what I have to do with the really painful issues that come up sometimes between us? I have to go into the prayer closet. And I have to begin calling the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to change my heart. 
Oh, you thought I was supposed to go in there and ask him to change Jan. No, it doesn't work that way. He's not going to touch Jan until my mess is cleaned up. And when my mess gets cleaned up, he'll take care of her mess. I don't need to worry about it. I heard one man say the secret to his long marriage was that his wife was always right. Well, I'll tell you something. My wife is not always right. Sometimes she's dead wrong. But I can't tell her that. I've got to tell Jesus that. And when I tell Jesus that, he deals with my sinful heart. And then after he's dealt with me, he'll have all the time in the world to deal with this mate that he's given me, this glowing light that he sent into my life. He'll take the shade off anything in her life he needs to if if I'm clean before God. Now you suddenly are recognizing I'm also talking about your boss at work. I want to give the boss a piece of my mind. Don't. I'm not going to be treated this way anymore. I deserve better. You can't treat me this way. You can't do it. I'm somebody. That's the problem. You're somebody. You've not gotten in that casket and been buried. You're alive and well. You're in a mess. It means coming up out of that mess by going into the prayer closet and hearing Jesus say very clearly to you, rise up and walk. And Jesus never comes in part way and says, now look, can you just take this little baby step? That's why he's so offensive to us. He comes in and he speaks the truth and it cuts across the mess. And now we've either got to leave the mess or cry crocodile tears and complain and moan and groan. And say, look how hard my life is. Look how I'm being treated. You think God gets sick of that? He's saying, come up out of that. You're not a victim. You're not being mistreated. You're in a mess and you created it. Or somebody else did and now you're caught in it. It means hearing Jesus say, get up and walk. Because you know that if you walk, you're responsible. You can't play cripple and walk. The cripple deal's over. Do some of you tonight need to have the cripple deal finished? Haven't you played that card long enough? Or haven't you played the card long enough of always being the information seeker? You know, I could do it right if I just knew more about it. I'm so sick of it in the Christian church today. They're constantly sending me advertisements for workshops and seminars, taking your Christian life to the next level. (laughs) As soon as you hear somebody say that, know that they are a pagan. They're pagans. They're humanists. Somebody down at Weva said to Jan and I, when are you ready to take your radio broadcast to the next level? I said, that's easy. We're going to leave the airwaves. (laughs) 
to understand. To understand, there's, I have no need to go back to the airwaves. If Jesus desires it, he'll do it. And let it be in his name. And let it be by his power. And let it bring glory to him and to the kingdom of heaven. He's in charge. So here's this crippled man. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. My job and your job is to grab a hold of the hands of people who are in a mess and say over them the name of Jesus Christ and help them get to their feet and instantly they'll be well. They'll be healed. Now watch what he did. He jumped to his feet, verse 8, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. This was no partial victory. This was not gaining victory and sliding back into the mud. This man was going to walk the rest of his life. People recognized him and they saw him jumping and praising God. And they, with wonder and amazement, came to find out what happened. And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, how do you recognize there's something different happening here? He's not hanging on to Peter and John because he's a victim. He's not hanging on to Peter and John in a way that sucks their life out. He's not hanging on because he wants money. He's hanging on because he's rejoicing in his deliverance and he can now walk. And that testimony brought conviction to the hearts of those who were observing and watching. While the beggar held on to Peter and John in verse 11, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the palace Uh, the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? In other words, this is normal Christian life. This is normal Christian life, to live in victory and not defeat. It's normal Christian life not to live in the mess, but to be free of the mess and to walk with joy in in a sane mind with victory over sin. That's normal. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, was glor- has glorified his servant Jesus. In other words, every victory is given to you in order to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. It was not for you. It's for Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. 
though he had decided to let him go, you disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murder be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witness of this by faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. Now, I need to stop just a minute. You recognize that now we have a third kind of victim. We have the curious victim. Oh, what's happening there? It's amazing. Wow. You mean, you mean, you've overcome this? Pagans love to hear stories of victory. We have Pagans who ask us constantly, Ray, what new miracles have happened? They love these kinds of stories. It encourages them in their humanism. So now these, in the third category of the curious, they're in a mess. They're in as much a mess as the cripple was or the rich young ruler. They're curious and they want to know what the story is, but they have no heart conviction. Now, please listen to me and understand what I'm going to say. The reason the Lord God of heaven has called for such a straight cutting word at the National Prayer Chapel is because it is only when the straight cutting word comes that the condition of the heart is revealed and the mess can be seen for what it is. And so Peter now begins to respond to these curious ones by cutting right to the heart of their condition. And when curious people come to you and say, why did you do that? It's the opportunity to confront them with the cross of Jesus. Why don't you have a television in the house? No, why don't you drink? No, why don't you go to the movies? No, it's the passion of Christ. This should be your deal. Why won't you go? They're curious. Some of you have not had anyone curious talk to you because you're living so much like them, there's nothing to be curious about. I mean, why should they ask you any questions when you're the same as they are? But when you begin to step out and you begin to do things and say things and act in ways that are totally contrary to the culture, when you draw the line in the sand and say, we won't go there, we won't do that, you're going to have people in your life who say, why not? What's that about? That's when you come with the answers. I mean, remember the one victim comes and he says, will you give me money? He needs to hear a straight gospel word. Come up, get out of that stuff. You don't need to be a victim anymore. Come on out of it. In the name of Jesus, come over here. That's witnessing. Or you have the rich young ruler who's only after more information. And he he asks his highly intelligent question. 
And that's your opportunity to witness, to come right back and say, unless you give all you have away to the poor, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Now, when that happens, they're either going to come and follow Jesus or they're going to walk away. And either way's all right. And then the curious ones. Don't you watch television? You mean you don't know what's happening with Joe Gibbs and the Redskins? Now, that's not normal. I mean, what do guys talk about if you can't talk about the Redskins? Jesus? I mean, suddenly everything begins to shift and change. If we have been called to be salt, that means we were not called to be sugar. I have a lot more fun being sugar than salt. Just stand. But I'll tell you what, when God puts salt in you, all you have to give is salt. And I pray that God's washing all the sugar out of you. That you only have salt in you. So, all three victims, the beggar, the rich young ruler, and the curious, all come at you in the same way. They come asking. And they come asking because you're not like them. You're not like them. If you're like them, they won't ask any questions. If you're unlike them and you're like Jesus, they'll ask you questions. Right? Your people say, well, Pastor, should I talk to this person on the train? Did they ask you a question? No, but shouldn't I tell them about Jesus? Well, they haven't seen enough Jesus yet in you. So why talk about Jesus? Jesus has to get in us. One of the laws of revival is that a church can only influence the sinner to the degree that its sin has been dealt with. If your sin has not been dealt with, you will have no power to deal with anyone else's sin. Judgment always begins at the house of the Lord. It never begins in downtown D.C. No. The straight word has gone out and now he softens his punch. You need to do this too. He says, I know you did it in ignorance. I know you really didn't know what you were doing. He gave him the benefit of the doubt. But then he comes back with this amazing statement in verse 19. Repent then. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Could I paraphrase that, please? Repent then and turn to God so that your mess may be wiped up. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You can't receive the refreshing power of the Holy Spirit when everything's a mess. It has to be cleaned up. It's only cleaned up by the blood that he may send the Christ 
who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. The Christ is not going to be sent into your life until you're willing to admit your mess and you're willing to let the blood of Jesus come and cover that mess. Oh, but I love my bitterness. I love my mess. Then Jesus will not come into your life and the ache of absence will only grow as it painfully cuts across your heart. Repent then. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord and he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Verse 23, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. You cannot be included as a person of God and live in your mess. That's why I say to you, church is not a support group. Church is not a support group. It's not a place where we come and gain comfort and learn how to cope with our mess. Jesus wants to speak to that mess and say, come up out of that mess. He wants to wash it with his blood. He wants to restore what's been broken. He wants you up on your feet, walking like a warrior. He wants you to be victorious over that sin that has crippled you for so many years. He doesn't want you to come year after year to church miserable. He wants you to come into this place filled with the glow and the glory of God, shouting the praises of God, ready to enter into prayer and intercession. He wants you to have power and authority in the name of Jesus. He didn't give us his name so that we could wipe up the mud and say it has no strength and power. He gave us his holy name. He gave us his holy name. To give us power. Power. Verse 26, and we will close. When God raised up his servant, that is Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Or, may I paraphrase? By turning you from your mess that you're in. He wants you pulled up out of that mess. God is not against you. God is for you. His heart overflows with compassion for you. But he will let you walk away from him. And he will be grieved of heart. And he'll let you do it. He'll let you walk away and go to hell. If that's your choice. But if you want to get clean and you want to get free, and you're willing to walk in the power of the name of Jesus, he's there to bless you. He's there to encourage your heart. He's there to comfort your soul. He'll take the worst mess. Suddenly you'll see all those old triggers start blowing off in the family. And you know there's a major war coming down the pike. And you pull back and you say, Jesus, step into this. And suddenly you'll see oil poured on the water. 
The mess has no power. Only Jesus has power. Stand in your heart tonight. God loves you. God loves you with compassion. And he wants your heart to be knit with his as one. He's poured himself out for us. And now he says, come on. Come up out of that mess. Don't condemn yourself. Don't play that you can handle it. Just get up out of it. In the name of Jesus. I tell you, go to your prayer closet. Tell him all about that mess. And then say to him, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm getting up out of that mess right now. I'm not going to walk in that mess anymore. I'm going to walk as a free person, no longer under the bondage of this. This condition will no longer exist in my home. It'll no longer exist at work. I am walking free in the blood of Jesus Christ, and I will not submit to a mess. And the most awesome thing will happen. The path will clear. The sky will be blue and the visibility will be unlimited. And the joy of the Lord will enter your heart. But tonight, what is Jesus saying to you? I want you to give that up. I want you to give it up and I don't want you to go back to it. What mess is he speaking to your heart about? And he's saying right now into your heart, it's over. It's finished. This mess can no longer exist. It can no longer go on. By the name of Jesus, it is broken. If you know that you've been dwelling in a mess, I don't care if you're the crippled victim playing on everybody's sentimental desires and wishes, or if you're the educated, rich, young ruler over here who's very sophisticated and just after information, or if your mess is just the curious. I don't care which it is. They're all the same. Are you in a mess? And you need the name of Jesus Christ to come and break that mess and wash it. If you confess tonight that you're in a mess, very specifically, and you're ready to have that mess broken, and you're willing to come up out of that mess, then I invite you to come and let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was, was
See 